it seems pretty foundational, I think, for understanding why we continue to have these stereotyped ideas about what games are and what they aren't. It's my second most watched video. I think number one is violent video games because, you know, that's the one that everyone wants to talk about. But that's fueled by the moral panic. I think understanding that humans are lazy thinkers and we want easy solutions to complex problems. And once we get on board with that, we'll understand, oh, that's why uh, they wanted to burn all the comic books. That's why Elvis was so controversial. And that's why we continue to blame uh, video games for everything bad in society. Hello and welcome back to the Shifting Schools podcast. I am so excited about this episode. If you've been listening along this summer, you know that we are right in the middle of a special mini series about esports. This series, I hope, has been really informative for our educator audience into thinking about the power of esports for building community um, and the potential future professional pathways that students have when they are thinking about the very, very wide world of esports. Now, from the very get-go, when Jeff and I decided to do this esports to produce it, we knew that there were going to be some skeptics. We've heard some skepticism ourselves as educators. We've been familiar with even just fellow peers or parents or caretakers who have said things like gaming is a waste of time or aren't video games bad for kids. And today's guest is one of the very best people out there who we could think to speak to in order to debunk a lot of the myths around games and to dig into the moral panic um, that's out there around video games. We're also going to talk about how video games is a really interesting way to think about media representation. So let me tell you a little more about this week's very special guest. Dr. Rachel Cowart is a research psychologist and the research director of Take This. She is a world-renowned researcher on the uses and effects of digital games, including their impact on physical, social, and psychological well-being. In her current work, she serves as one of the primary investigators on the very first grant-funded project from the Department of Homeland Security about games and extremism. She's spoken about her work to thousands of people all around the globe, including the United States Congress, United Nations, and Department of Homeland Security. Dr. Cowart is an award-winning author. She's published a variety of books and scientific articles relating to the psychology of games and, more recently, the relationship between games and mental health specifically, and we get into that on this episode. She also serves as the editor of the Rutledge Debates in Media Studies series and the upcoming ETC Press series, Psychology of Pop Culture. Recently, Dr. Cowart has founded a um, an amazing YouTube channel. Um, you're going to find it in the notes over there in the show notes. It's called Psychgeist, and it serves to bridge the gap between moral panic and scientific knowledge on a variety of psychology and game-related topics. 
Dr. Cowart has been featured in so many different various media outlets. You may know of her work from NPR, The Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, New York Times, or Wired Magazine. You're going to want to learn more about this week's special guest and, of course, links to do so and to connect with Dr. Cowart are over there in the show notes. Before we hop into this week's amazing conversation, we do have a quick bit of business. Before we dive back into our conversation, I want to spotlight a game changer. Meet Daigon Esports, a trailblazer in transforming student engagement. Armed with a combined 30 years of attending, supplying, and working with over 500 international schools in 60 plus countries, Daigon is poised to usher esports into your campus. Daigon's roots run deep in the international school community. Founded by two former international school students and passionate gamers, Elia and Jonas, Daigon was born from firsthand experience. They partnered with the two former founders of an international school's activity management solution to supercharge their vision with decades of experience working with international schools. Stay tuned to hear more about Elliot's captivating journey in an upcoming episode of our eSports miniseries. Daigon's mission is clear. Align with your students' passions and use it as a stepping stone to cultivate creativity, problem solving, global citizenship, collaboration, and communication. Critical 21st century skills championed by the World Economic Forum's Education 4.0 plan. An added cherry on top, boosting self-esteem and providing an inclusive space for students to shine. Safety and structure are Daigon's key ingredients. They have tailored a competitive, educational, and entertaining approach within a closed, secure network exclusive to international schools. Think your school is ripe for an esports club? Daigon's Esports Gaming After School Club is a treasure trove of gaming activities, promoting interactivity, non-competitive play while imparting valuable life skills. Ready to go pro? Daigon's all-in-one platform simplifies esports league participation, student management, match scheduling, and game day participation. This comprehensive platform is committed to offering the best esports experience continually expanding its reach in games, age groups, and leagues in regions. International school listeners, if you envision an esports program in your school, the path starts at Daigon. Visit DaigonEsports.com and book a free call to explore how Daigon can champion your esports venture. That's Daigon Esports, D-A-I-G-O-N Esports.com. We extend a hearty thank you to Daigon for sponsoring this esports miniseries here at Shifting Schools. I also wanted to take a moment to remind you of our three-month generative AI cohort we have starting this August. Generative AI tools like ChatGPT are changing the educational landscape, and we know our listeners are eager to take their teaching practice to the next level. That's why you listen to podcasts to learn and be a better teacher. And that's why Trisha and I created the three-month generative AI cohort. Now here's, here's what you get. From August to October for three months, we're inviting you to embark on a transformative journey with our three-month generative AI cohort. Immerse yourself in a world of AI-powered education, unravel its wonders, and unleash its potential right in your classroom. We will be holding a monthly live webinar that will be tailored to your unique questions and needs, providing live interactions that support you and your learning journey. 
Each month, you'll receive a generative AI resource ready to implement in your teaching, pushing the boundaries of traditional methods and engaging students in the learning process while building skills they will need for the future of work. We will keep you updated with the latest news and development in the AI landscape, plus share a curated list of new innovative AI tools to keep you at the forefront of educational technology. Our goal is to geek out on AI so you don't have to. Explore new and time-saving integrations with our monthly AI-powered prompts designed to spark innovation and invite experimentation with your students in the classroom. And of course, you will be able to connect, collaborate, and share what you are trying and how it's going with your cohort peers and have unlimited access to Trisha and I through our dedicated Slack space. But here's the catch. We are limiting this cohort to just 50 participants. This is to ensure that we can meet individual needs and offer personalized learning experiences to every one of our members. So don't delay. You're going to want to be a part of this cohort. Enroll today and ride the wave of AI-powered education with Shifting Schools. All you have to do to register is go to shiftingschools.com to secure your spot. And remember, all podcast listeners can save $25 by using the code SSPOD25 at checkout. That's SSPOD, S-S-P-O-D 25 at checkout. Thank you for that. And we hope to see you in the cohort. Now let's get back to our conversation about esports and education. And with that, please welcome to the show, Dr. Rachel Coward. Dr. Cowart, I have to tell you that I have basically fallen in love with your YouTube channel, Zeitgeist, <laughs> as have thousands of other viewers. I feel like I've binged a lot of the content, which you have so carefully re-curated. So uh, listeners, the link to the entirety of the uh, of, of the, the YouTube channel will be there in the show notes. But I wanted to start off with a specific video of yours uh, entitled Video Games and Moral Panic. You point out this has been an issue for a long, long time now. We're talking about decades. And your video takes us on a tour of games that have sparked controversy. We talk a lot about media literacy on this podcast. I love that you bring up representation. I'm wondering if you could talk about why representation matters when we're talking about video games uh, and perhaps speak to the representation that you're hoping to see more of when we're talking about gamers in the media. Gosh, you know, representation is so important to, to, first of all, on a personal level, just to see yourself represented in media validates your experience as a human being. Um, there's so much variability and, and people exist on a spectrum and, and being able to see someone that really resonates with you can be incredibly powerful and validating for just your own perceived importance in this world. So um, from a personal standpoint, you know, that obviously has a lot of value, but um, for games and the way that we kind of think and talk about them in media, they've always been a very straight, white, heterosexual male activity. We see it reflected in the makeup of the game studios. We see it reflected in the content of the games that are being created. And so I, myself and, and a lot of other advocates in this space, I know my work at Take This, we talk about this a lot, is diversifying who is making games, which will then turn around and diversify what we're seeing in games. And not only is there a business case to be made about making more money because you have more diversified content and diverse teams make 
more lucrative games. But there's a great piece about Miles Morales and the, and the new Spider-Man. And they interviewed um, some game players who come from different backgrounds. And the quotes that they pulled out about how meaningful it was for them to see a Black character just walking down the street listening to music was incredibly powerful because they'd never seen that before and they'd never been part of those narratives before. Um, so I would just love to see more in that direction. And I think we are. I think we are seeing it more in that direction now, but just not quite where we would want to be just yet. And again, I, I think the work that you're doing, the research that you're doing is helping to push uh, the needle forward. And it was also why it was important for us to interview Joni Kraut, who's the CEO of uh, Women in Games International, also talking about making sure that, uh, you know, folks have access to the industry. And the trailer for your t- your your YouTube video also points out that gaming is the world's largest of the media industries, which is fascinating to think about. Uh, so it almost seems even more significant that we get that right. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I when I was looking through your your YouTube channel, the video games and moral panic was the one that grabbed me. I'm always fascinated by how moral panics are manufactured and how we can think more critically about them. I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about the response to that video, or am I unique in saying that's the one I need to watch first? Uh, I've noticed that one has a lot of traffic, so I'm guessing you've had some feedback on it. Yeah, that one, it seems pretty foundational, I think, for understanding why we continue to have these stereotyped ideas about what games are and what they aren't. It's my second most watched video. I think number one is violent video games because, you know, that's the one that everyone wants to talk about. But that's fueled by the moral panic. I think understanding that humans are lazy thinkers and we want easy solutions to complex problems. And once we get on board with that, we'll understand, oh, that's why uh, they wanted to burn all the comic books. That's why Elvis was so controversial. And that's why we continue to blame uh, video games for everything bad in society. Yeah. Again, I I recommend, of course, the YouTube channel full stop, but I think that's a great one to dig into because, you know, it's been so interesting along the way in building this mini series, hearing how many students and their teachers are appreciating the joy of play inherent in games, as well as the community building aspect that comes along with being a member of an esports team. Um, and it, it's really interesting because, as I've just casually mentioned, working on this series to friends and family, overwhelmingly the majority response has been like kind of a suspicion or a cynicism. Um, and uh, again, the I think like the academic, the evidence-based approach that you take to debunking that is really important. And, you know, you have a whole series of books that gets at that argument as well. Um, I'm kind of wondering in furthering to combat that moral panic, uh, do you do you see yourself being invited into K-12 schools to talk to parents and caretakers? Is, is that something that you do alongside of? I know that you already do a lot, so I hesitate to ask <laughs> you, uh, you know, do you do even more than your already very busy yeah. uh, full job? <laughs> no, I definitely do. And I and I wish I could do it more. So please invite me. I, I will happily speak because um, I think at the end of the day, the the real audience in pushing this narrative forward is the teachers and the parents. I mean, I can shout from YouTube 
um, as I do <laughs> often. Um, but it, it doesn't change the hearts and minds of people unless they're actively engaged in it. And I think that being able to speak to the p- teachers and the parents and the people who are making these day-to-day decisions about how games are being used and, and for how much and for what purpose um, is really important. You sparked a story in me, um, which is I have spent my career really debunking the moral panics in and around games, but I got into this field because I was concerned that something really bad was happening because I had fallen into this discourse in and around games that um, the height of World of Warcraft, the height of online gaming, there was loads of concern about how games were impacting people socially. And I just kept hearing it. And I was really deeply invested in playing a lot of online games at the time. And so I found myself asking, like, oh, am I doing something that's going to detrimentally impact me for the rest of my life? Because that was the story I was getting from the public around me. And that's actually what motivated my entire research career. And then when I got into it, I realized, no, actually, games are generally more positive than negative. And at the at the very least, they're kind of neutral and they're great tools for connection and learning and um, so it changed my mind, uh, the science. So I, I'm happy to bring this empirically informed perspective to other parents and teachers who might also be hearing these things and are curious about what the actual research is behind it. I'm really glad you shared that because I think often the thing that's uh, even more convincing is the, hey, I also had this wrong. Um, I, I think right. it's it's great to listen to people who are like, I had to dig in and, you know, kind of check my own bias and my own assumption. So that's fascinating that your research really yeah. started off as like me search. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> it did. Um, it did. Uh, I want to stick with the media representation bit for a moment. It's a real passion of mine. And you have another great video that's entitled Impact of Mental Health Representation in Games, Stigma and Stereotypes. And in that video, you explain that when we're looking at representation of mental health in games, it's not just about the plot and the characters, but we're also talking about game mechanics. And that like blew my mind. I hadn't thought about that. It had me thinking about in K-12 education, you know, we want to help students become better at the skill of analysis and and read with a critical lens. And so I think mm-hmm. there's, uh, you know, there's real power in helping them do that through video game as text. I'm wondering if you can talk about what helped you start to engage with games in that very detailed, critical uh, review way. Yeah, I think it it happened because, you know, I got my master's in counseling psychology. So I was learning a lot about mental health and, and again, what it is and what it isn't that we have all these stereotypes and stigmas associated with mental health. And then I realized that these same things were being reiterated in the media we consume. And it wasn't just television and film, right? It's also video games. I've always, I've always played video games my entire life. I was an early adopter. Um, but you know, as we, you know, this was again, peak World of Warcraft, I think they had 3 million monthly subscribers, right? At this point, games were ubiquitous. They were being played by everyone everywhere at any time. Um, And I think it just struck me as like, huh, this is not only another place in which we're seeing these stereotypes reinforced, it's almost as if it's also being reinforced, you know, through social learning in a way, because we're the active catalyst of the stories in games. So it made me curious about, is this a more impactful um, way of learning, which turns out games are a great way to learn things. So on the one hand, yes. Um, but in, in terms of like teaching, it's also a great way to use it to your advantage to, to um, tear down the walls of stigma and stereotypes. 
Yeah, and I think really look at what are some of the uh, covert messages in our media is is always a great lesson to be digging into. So listeners, I will be sure to also include the link to that video over there in the show notes. Um, as I mentioned, you've off- authored several books. The link to uh, your different books will be in the show in the show notes as well. A few of those titles are aimed at the parent caretaker audience. The world of gaming has changed so much since my younger days of playing, like, you know, the original Nintendo. Uh, that was sort of my my introduction, maybe Commodore 64, actually. Uh, Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego was the game that I first fell in love with. Um, as a parent yourself, I'm wondering if you could speak to the importance of parents and caretakers learning more about what you call, and I love the the concept of this title, quote, digital playgrounds. Yes. Oh my gosh. I cannot understate the importance of parents and caretakers having a foundational knowledge. You don't have to like it. You don't even really have to play it if you really don't want to, though I would encourage that you do. Um, But you do have to acknowledge that as a thing in your child's life that can and likely does have a significant impact on, I mean, all areas of their lives, the way they engage with their friends, the way that they have their playtime. I tend to tell parents, play with your kids. But if you don't want to, stand over their shoulder when they're playing and at least just ask questions. What are you playing? Who are you playing with? Why do you like it? I mean, it'll, one, alleviate any fears about who they're playing with. If they can answer that question quickly, good sign. If they say, I don't know, a bunch of strangers, maybe not, maybe not as good of a sign. Um, But I think the why do you like it is the one that'll be the most illuminating because there still tends to be this idea that games are frivolous or they're not a valid form of play um, or they're not serving any sort of, you know, functional purpose. And I think you'll find a wide range of answers from I'm connecting to my friends to I like immersing myself in this story uh, to I just want to blow off some steam. Um, and it'll really give you a lot of insight into why your kids are playing and, and for what purpose. And I cannot, you know, it takes five minutes of your time. I just really encourage that of everyone. Is there a game that you find uh, you enjoy playing with with your family? If if there's a parent or caretaker who's listening and they're thinking, you know what, I am going to go a little bit further and I am going to try out a game uh, with my child. Is there one that you think uh, this is one that is kind of like a great intergenerational experience? Uh, there's many. I mean, Mario Kart is racing. You have an arrow button and an A button to, to, to go forward. Like, it doesn't get much more simple um, than that. But also, you know, my kids love Minecraft, which is an open sandbox game. I personally don't really enjoy it because I have really bad depth perception and, like, this 3D spatial awareness is not my strong suit. But my husband loves it with my kids because it's just a big open playground and you can build things and destroy things and it's really fun. Um, so I would say those two would probably be good kind of onboarding spaces to start. Those are those are great recommendations. Um, you know, I kind of just wanted to connect your research with what we have heard from a few other guests, anecdotally them talking about what they see to be real benefits in terms of both personal wellness and that social piece, learners making friends, uh, you know, both with folks at their school and perhaps a little bit further away through esports tournaments. And I'm wondering, actually, as a academic researcher, if those anecdotes, if those seem like, 
yeah, there, there's, there's truth in that. These are not just a few kids who are enjoying esports and gaming for those benefits, but uh, there's, there's something, there's a bigger theme that they are onto. Does that seem accurate to you? Absolutely. I mean, social connection is a big one. It we find in the research not only are games a great place to make new friends, but they're a great place to reinforce those friendships that you already have. And the really interesting from the research about the social impact, which, as again, is what got me into it originally, is that we find that these online relationships are valued sources of social and emotional support. So I could be playing a game with someone that I don't necessarily know, but I find that person to be a valued member of my social circle. I feel like I can talk to them. I feel like I have a sense of trust with them. And that can be really validating, especially for people looking for communities who can't necessarily find it in their physical space. So like LGBTQIA youth or um, girls from small towns in Texas who no one else likes video games, right? That was my situation. I got to find other girls who like video games that was like unheard of from my small town. Um, so yes, research a thousand percent supports that, but also things like stress relief or fun. When did fun not become an important outcome? Games are really fun and people enjoy playing them. Um, but also, you know, leadership skills and creativity and, you know, the list goes on. There's a lot of research to support that they can be fantastic tools for a wide variety of outcomes. Okay, final question. I know that I will have certainly a few teachers of psychology tuning into this episode. For their students who they're interested in a potential career pathway in psychology and they just happen to also love games, what recommendations might you have for them, either readings or resources to get them thinking about how they might merge those two passions and kind of um, follow follow the journey that um, you've been on? Great question. I, I get several emails a week asking that exact question. Um, I did actually just put out a couple new videos on my YouTube channel, um, and it's called Game Studies 101 is the playlist. But the first two videos are, do you want to study games? Here's what I wish I knew and five books that everybody should read if they want to study games. So I would say those two videos are a good place to start, but really it's just about engaging with the work that's already out there. I mean, we're lucky that now we're, we're you know, 20 plus years into this field as a career and there's a resource, you know, for every kind of specialization. Do you want to be an educator who uses games? There's a great book by Zach Hartman called Teaching with Video Games that came out last year. You know, you could find that and pick that up. Do you want to do game design? Celia Hodent has a lot of books on game design that are really accessible um, from, I would definitely say, a high school level could could access these books and read them and understand them. So um, do some Googling. And I would watch those first two videos because that'll get you started on, on kind of like where to look and where to go next. Dr. Coward, I'm almost shocked that you haven't mentioned your newsletter because you've got this great monthly oh, yes. breakdown. <laughs> do. do you do you want to talk about your newsletter? Sure. I, you know, I do a lot of things and I forget them sometimes. I do have a monthly newsletter on Substack. It's a mostly monthly newsletter, as I like to call it. Um, but it provides short little snippets of updates of the comings and goings of the month before about what what's happening in news and research, what new opportunities are there. I always plug that I'm reading the Witcher books. Uh, if you read my newsletter, you know I'm slogging through them, but I'm getting there. Um, I say slog. It's a slog of love, but, you know, I don't have that much spare time. So, yes, I highly recommend the newsletter for keeping uh, up to date. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, uh, you know, I was thinking about it because you also summarized like the different events that you would have been speaking at. And I feel like. Uh, you know, for, for fellow educators, even just looking at that and sharing that with students who are curious about a career pathway in gaming, 
again, just so many different intersections and uh, possibilities uh, that it's it's really opened up my mind. So that newsletter is a great resource. And I do love that you highlight what you're reading, what you're watching, and what you are playing or yeah. considering uh, playing. <laughs> mostly, uh, final, mostly considering. Fi- Yes. Really, really final question. I mean, this time, uh, you know, with the summer break coming, is there a game that uh, you are looking forward to getting into or there's a game that you just want more time uh, to dive into? So the new Legend of Zelda game is coming out, um, which is a sequel to Breath of the Wild. And my deep, dark uh, secret confession at the end of your podcast is I have not yet played Breath of the Wild uh, because I have three small children and I know it's it's a crime against game fandom. So I'm really hoping to play Breath of the Wild so then I can then play the new Legends of Zelda game, which everyone is very, very excited for. All right. Great. You heard it here first. I love that that's the deep, dark confession. We hope that you enjoy that and you have a great summer of gaming. Folks, please do check out all of Dr. Cowart's research and resources. That YouTube channel is just absolutely phenomenal. And I think those books, if those are not a part of your professional development library, get those books. I think they would make for a wonderful parent caretaker book group as well. So thank you again so much for for sharing with us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to introduce you to XSense, an innovative company providing home safety products. Many long-term listeners here at Shifting Schools know that my wife and I also have another business outside of education and shifting schools, and that's in real estate, where we flip homes and have rental properties and an Airbnb, because who doesn't these days? So when it comes to safety in homes around things like smoke alarms and CO2 detectors, it's something that we take very seriously, just like you. We want to protect our assets, our home, and our family. XSense smart technology allows you to monitor your home even when you are not there. You know, smoke alarms are one of those things we don't think often about. We once had a situation where our smoke alarms were going off in our house when we weren't home. And guess what? We had no idea they were going off. Luckily, we had great neighbors who heard the alarm, came over to the house and looked in the windows and didn't see any smoke. So called us to tell us the alarms were going off. We got lucky as it was just a malfunction in our smoke alarm system. But the problem we had was we had no idea the alarm was even going off. That is where Xsense smart technology comes in. With easy to install devices and smart technology, you'll have peace of mind knowing that Xsense is always on guard and you will have access to your home even when you're away. Of course, the smoke and CO2 detectors are great for keeping you and your family safe. But the product I'm most excited about is the water leak detector. Nothing can ruin your home faster than water. And I would love to share a firsthand story with you, but there are too many to pick from. Let's just say I have stories. Too many, in fact. These simple little devices just sit anywhere you might have a water leak. Under your sink, in the bathroom, or the number one place that water leaks happen. You guessed it, the water line to your fridge for the ice maker. Get the peace of mind that if nobody is home and you do have a leak, you'll be notified instantly and can take action to turn it off before it ruins your house. Here's a pro tip for you. Anytime we have someone watching our cats when we're on vacation, we always show them, remind them, and have labeled the water shut off to the house. I hope you've done the same. 
Xsense allows you to make simple little upgrades to your home this summer to make it safer for you, your family, and protect your biggest asset, your home. You're going to want to check out Xsense during July and during Amazon Prime Day when they will be offering big discounts on their products. I've already bookmarked their Amazon page to be first in line for these new smart products and some of those water leak devices. To learn more, visit x-sense.com or search for x-sense, that's x-s-e-n-s-e in Amazon today. Xsense, keep you and your loved ones safe 24 seven.